All right. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 18. If you're looking for Matthew, it's about two-thirds of your way in the Bible. And if you look for chapter 18, find chapter 17, and then it'll be next to it. And so, um, uh, I am, that joke never gets old, right, Linda? Right? Never gets old. Yeah, I'll be using that when I'm like 900 years old. So, uh, I, I'm excited. We get to dive back into uh, the Gospel of, of Matthew. And just to give you a heads up, I think uh, we're going to be settling in here for a little while. Uh, we are uh, planning on going from chapters 18 through 20 in this leg. Uh, it'll take us until about now to the middle of July. Uh, and then I think we're going to go ahead and take on 21 and 22 right after that, uh, after camp, after our merged summer camp, uh, which will take us from July through about September. And you're like, okay, so over the next uh, 200 months, we're going to cover about four chapters of the book of Matthew. And and I tell you, yes. And, and I say that because we are very committed around here to walking through verses of the Bible together at a pace where we allow it to um, read our lives. Uh, we allow God's Word to read our lives so that we can better know uh, what God's calling for us as we walk in relationship uh, with Him, as we walk in our awareness of what Christ has done for us, as we walk into the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I love walking through entire books of the Bible together uh, because uh, we, we get to see the context of of what is being said, which is a very novel practice, I think, when it comes to reading the Bible. Uh, and then also, uh, we don't allow ourselves to skip over parts that, that might rub us the wrong way, or uh, either because of our own sinfulness, or uh, the fact that it runs counter to uh, the values of our world, or uh, just simply out of our desire to seek comfort uh, over discomfort. And, and so we, we don't want to be... Ultimately, we don't want to be cowards of the Word. We want to walk in and say, God, you have shown us your Word. You have given us the best way to live. And, uh, and, and I mention this uh, because the things that Jesus is going to say over the next couple months especially, but specifically over these next few weeks, uh, will, will lead us to this line in the sand of like, okay, what you are telling me is hard. Uh, and so what we are leaning on and what we are praying for is that we would have a faith that is mature enough to know that the hard thing that Jesus is saying is actually the best thing for us. Uh, because there will be moments, especially over the next couple of weeks, uh, where, uh, where he's going to say something and you will instinctively say, I don't like that. No. That, I hear you, but no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, and, and what we are striving for here as we cling to the Word is this belief that, that God's desire for us, that out of His great love for us, He's given us His Word, and that it's not restrictive, yet it's actually the path to freedom. Uh, it's actually a path to break free from some of the things that, that, that hinder us and slow us down. And, and, and here's what I know, that, that over these next few chapters... Uh, we're going to be, he's going to build some arguments in our lives where, where we will look at Jesus and we will say, clearly you don't understand how painful that moment was. Or clearly you don't understand what I am going through in this current season of my life. 
And he will say, not only do I know that, I've experienced that, I've overcome that for your benefit, so let's try something new. Let's try things my way, because your way constantly gets you in this funk. Uh, and so, so all throughout these words, we're going to be bought, brought to a truth that runs counter to our worldview. And, and hopefully what we're going to learn is that the hard things Jesus tells us to do is actually the best things we can do. Uh, and, and now let me, let me give you the key to breaking down uh, your defense and, and we just find this from Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 3. Uh, and I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago in our merge groups. And so if you say, okay, how can I go from doing the hard things and the best things to avoiding the hard things? Uh, here, here's the key. And Paul says it this way. If then we have been raised with Christ. So if you are found in Christ and you've been raised with him, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he says, he says very simply, take your eyes off of the things of this world, all the trappings, all the conflicts, and he says, set your eyes upon Christ. And so over these next few weeks, I'm just, I'm just giving you a warning. Uh, and if you never come back, I, I completely understand that you're chicken. Okay, I get that. But, but over the next few weeks... Uh, we're going to be tempted to keep our eyes on the things of the earth. And, and that's going to tempt us to stay stuck in whatever offense or, or whatever moment is in our mind. And so, so but however, if we, uh, the more we see Christ, the more we're drawn toward adoring him, uh, which is what we just got to sing. Like that was not planned, by the way. Uh, that we get to see that. We get to see him and we get to adore him. And the more we adore him, the better the condition of our hearts will become uh, so that we'll be more willing to receive His instruction and to trust in His way since we can trust and we believe that He truly does care for us and He truly does care for us in the greatest of ways. And so it's going to be entirely possible these next few weeks to keep our eyes on the things of the world, to to live in the regrets of our past or to dwell uh, in the wounds that we've received or, or... we can strive and encourage one another and we can lean into the Holy Spirit and we can listen while Jesus' words teach us about how to live in the best of ways. And so, so as, as we cherish Christ uh, and, and what He has done for us, we begin seeing God, uh, God's ways actually lead us to freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that's easy. It just means that's where freedom is found. And so... So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into 1 through, uh, I guess, 6. We're, we were going to go 14, but that didn't happen. Uh, and so uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we are so very thankful this morning of your word. And I pray that we would cherish it the way that it deserves to be cherished. And, and Father, I pray that as you speak to us uh, through your word, that your Holy Spirit would, would be very loud in our hearts this morning that we would hear Jesus' words, that we would see His incredible worth, and that we would respond with worship that is fitting a king. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so let's talk talk context, right? Because we're we're diving into a brand new chapter, and so what's happening... 
just a few days before where we've arrived in chapter 18, uh, Jesus uh, has asked his disciples a very important question, okay? Uh, everything had been leading up to, at this point, up to this question. Uh, he looks at his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? Remember this? Uh, and he's, they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're some other prophet. And then he stops them in their tracks and he says, but who do you say that I am? And we remember all throughout our journey through Matthew, they've been trying to figure this out. Uh, particularly in this moment when he stops a storm and they say, who is this guy? Who is this guy? So he asks his disciples, he says, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives us just the greatest response, right? He says, well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, absolutely. You know, you know this, Peter, not because you're smart, but because God has revealed this to you. And so everything's kind of been leading up to this point. And so, so the connection has been made uh, in the disciples' hearts that Jesus is their king. He is their Messiah. He is the one that is coming that they have been eagerly waiting for. Uh, and so, but what we find is that they are slow to understanding. They hear it, they just don't understand it fully because what they expect in a Messiah is the same thing that most Jewish people expected in a Messiah. Uh, someone that could come in, kick the door down on Rome and say, hey, this land is ours again. Uh, and so, uh, but what happens with the disciples, and this happens quite a few times, and it's, it's really interesting, uh, but, but that, that this revelation about who Jesus is begins this dispute among the disciples about who will be the who will have the greatest role in Jesus' administration? Uh, and so this, this brings up a pretty common... There's, there's one moment uh, where uh, the John and, and James's mom comes in. It's like, hey, um, when you bring your kingdom, can my boys sit next to you? Uh, and Jesus says, hey, you don't know what you're asking. And they're like, we sure do. Uh, but, but this is a consistent thing. And it's, it's part of our human condition that, that, okay, if that is where greatness is, that's where I want to live... And I want to be as high up on the ladder as I can be. And so this dispute rises among them about who's going to have uh, the best role. And, and if you're looking for other places where this is also expressed, uh, you can go to Mark 9, you can go to Luke 9. Uh, and it kind of tells us the same story. Uh, but, but what we're going to see here in these first four verses, it's going to really set the stage for the rest of chapter 18. Okay, uh, it'll set. It'll even shed light into chapters 19 and 20. But but Jesus is going to use an illustration that that I believe is so very easily misunderstood when brought to connection with the rest of the chapter. Uh, and that's why we say, okay, what we talk about today will affect what we talk about next Sunday, uh, because that context is key. Because essentially, Jesus is going to use an analogy to illustrate what it means to become a Christian. Uh, and then the rest of this chapter is really going to unpack how we be, how, how we being a Christian, uh, that's not even written correctly, uh, how being a Christian should relate to one another uh, in the church, how, how we should relate to one another as a church. And so, so let's, let's get going. Verse number one. At that time, okay, so at what time? That time. Very good. I'm making sure three of you were listening. If I have three, then I can keep going. Uh, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him, Jesus, calling to Jesus, a child, he put him in the midst of them and he said, 
Truly I say to you, okay, and now this next word is important. If you like to underline your Bible, it's okay to do. Uh, this next word is important. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, so, so what's the question on the table? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest, right? And Jesus, so, so here's what we know. There is a kingdom. They're identifying Jesus as the king of this kingdom. And so, so and they know that Jesus is instrumental in bringing it. And, and so what they want to know is how can someone climb the ladder? How can we become of the greats? How can that happen? And, and I used to think um, very wrongly about what Jesus is telling people here. Uh, and I've been very guilty of, of teaching it incorrectly. Uh, because what, what I used to believe was, the, was that Jesus is just calling people to simple faith. Uh, that we would break free from um, just all the steps of religion. You know, that we would just understand that it's just about Jesus. Uh, and, and when we think that, there's some really dangerous games that we want to play with that, uh, that all I need is Jesus, and, and that is true. Um, but, but we tend to lean away from a pursuit of holiness. Uh, we, percent, we tend to, to shy away from moments of discomfort because we've created a Jesus as a Savior who doesn't really call us to anything. Uh, he just wants to be our buddy. Uh, and so, so for a long time, I, I read this wrongly that just thought of it as a reference to simple faith where you, where you don't have to spend uh, really any amount of time reading and meditating on the word of God uh, where, where where God won't call you to difficult things and but the more that I read the word the more I find these challenges to grow to grow from drinking spiritual milk to to chewing on the meat that God places for us uh, that uh, for for us uh, really, for us to be years down the road in our salvation still drinking just milk as our source of sustenance, that, that's not a good thing. Uh, and I used to think that's what Jesus was saying. Well, if you'll just remain a child and immature in your thinking, you, everything will be okay. Uh, but, but what we find is that, uh, especially Paul brings these illustrations up, that, that he'll tell us that, that as you come to Christ, that there's a season when spiritual milk for a time is not bad, uh, but that it's never intended to sustain you. Okay, so, so when you come to Christ initially, you are, as the word will describe you, a, a, an infant. You are a baby in Christ. Uh, and so you come to these, these very basic things about him, which you never graduate from, by the way. Uh, you'll never graduate, but it can't remain your source of, of uh, sustenance. And so his argument is forcing us to ask a very simple question that when it comes to your life, and I think you'll get this since we're approaching lunch today. Um, when you go to lunch today, would you rather have a glass of milk or a T-bone steak? Okay? Would you rather have milk or a T-bone? And, and I would prefer a T-bone, okay, because milk's gross. Um, but but, but w- the argument is simply this. Um, one of those things will help sustain you. The other of those things will satisfy you, Right? You've, you've never had a glass of milk and it's like, oh, that milk, that was so much, got to unbutton my pants because I had so much milk, right? No, you, but when you have a steak, that's a different thing altogether, right? You have special, no, I, I only have special pants for steaks? Okay, no. Okay, so, 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 so what does, the question is this, that we, we have, not the question, the statement is this, that we have to grow up in our faith, 
Okay, that's an important part of this process. So, so what does Jesus mean here by bringing a child in front of the disciples? What, what does he mean that we are all to act like children? And some of you are like, well, I've tried to act like a kid all my life, and nobody pays attention to my tantrums any longer. Uh, I just kick and I scream and I whine and all those things. I mean, I'm just trying my best. Um, but, but, but Jesus tells us that unless we become like a child, we cannot enter the kingdom. So, so what is it about children that he's referring to here? Uh, because here, here's what we know about kids. Um, and if you have kids, you can get this. If you teach kids, you most definitely have lived this. Um, that kids at times can be pretty dumb. Okay? And I know you're like, not my kid. And I'm like, no, I've spent time with your kid. They're as dumb as all the other kids. Okay? It's just the way that it works. They can be very immature at times. They can be, be, be very short-sighted at times. They can be very selfish at times. And we know this. We know this about kids because we know this about adults. Okay? And that's all we are. We're just kids 2.0. Okay? So, so we know this about them. And so uh, what, what are the childlike attributes that Jesus is specifically saying we need? And there's an answer for this. And he talks about it in verse 4. He says, Whoever humbles himself like this child, that word humbles is, is vital. So let's combine this with verse 3 and we find uh, what, you, what you consider a necessary condition, right? So the question is, how can you be great? Well, you need to be part of the kingdom. He says nobody can be part of the kingdom unless they do this. So he says unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, so here's what we are told. Here's, in your talk notes, this is your first blank. This is what Jesus is saying. That the key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven goes right through our need for conversion. And he says conversion happens through the lane of humility. So, so the key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven goes right through our need for conversion. Uh, conversion happens through the lane of humility. That, that's, this is the point of the child. So, so the question on the table has been, uh, and I've read many commentators just guess about how old is this kid. And I, I don't know. He doesn't tell us because that's not important. Uh, that's not vital. Uh, but, but, but think of, in, to illustrate this point, think of a two-year-old or, or a three-year-old that, that he, know, he realizes that he doesn't know as much as his parents. Okay? Now, the 12-year-old's a genius, and they figure it out. But we know that somewhere between 3 and 12, something happens in their brain that it breaks. Uh, and they think they're smarter than their parents, but they're really not. Um, but, but, but in fact, if you, if you looked at a two-year-old and you showed them a picture of an elephant and you said, this is a squirrel. They will grow up believing that an elephant is called squirrel, right? That's, that was a trick I wanted to play on some kids, but their parents thought it wouldn't be fair. Um, but, uh, or, or, or this, that, that children understand, and they will believe their parents in anything, and they understand that they are dependent on their parents for everything, right? If you take, you, this happens almost every single Sunday here. Right? You take a parent out of the baby room, that child is going through an issue. Because in their mind, in their mind, that parent is never returning. And what they know about their parent 
is that that is my source of sustenance. That's, that's the person that feeds me. That is the person who clothes me. That is the person who responds to me at the slightest outburst. That is the person in whom I love the most because they have lavished me with their love. And for that person to be gone, I fear they will never return. And I need them in a desperate, desperate, desperate way. I tend to believe this is the context in which Jesus is talking here. When he says that they would humble themselves like a child. That we, not that children are exceedingly humble and adults are exceedingly not, but that we would understand our deep, deep, desperate dependence on God. That we would, this, the, it's the line of humility, that we would not think of ourselves less than what God has told us that we are, but that we would not think of ourselves as more than what God has told us we are. That we would understand our dependence on Him isn't just necessary, it's desperate that our next breath is allowed because of His great love for us. And then if He chose to take away our next breath, it's so that He could bring us home with Him. And so this is, this is the argument I believe Jesus is, is making. This is the kind of dependence. And He says, whoever humbles himself, it's, it's, it's a humility knowing that there is no way to know more, to be more capable of, or that you can bring any better satisfaction than what Jesus can. That we would know that. And that that would change our lives. That would move us. So here's this principle uh, that's at play here. He says, to be a citizen in the kingdom, you must become a child of the king. To be a citizen in the kingdom, you must become a child of the king. This is, in essence, this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is pointing to the necessity of conversion. And that language of turning and becoming like a child means that Jesus is, is looking at his disciples. Okay? The guys who should get it the best, right? Because they've spent the most time. He's looking at them and he says, there must be a fundamental change in your life, in your dependence upon us. That, that in order to become a citizen of the kingdom, you must turn from yourself, you must trust in the Father. Like a child, you must thrust yourself upon God and confess your need for Him. So to become a citizen of the kingdom, you must become a child of the King. So let, let's, let's continue. and We're going to see a very stark warning uh, for those who stand just of anyone who stands in the way of a father protecting and loving his children. Uh, he says this in verse 5. Whoever, okay, so who? Ever, ever. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones uh, who believe in me to sin, okay, and this is it's going to get pretty real, so it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay? It would be better that he would die a horrific death than to cause one of my little ones to sin. Okay? And so, so 
continuing to talk about Jesus, Jesus, uh, talk about children, uh, Jesus shifts this, this conversation to discuss about receiving children in His name. So if they are citizens of my kingdom, this is how you are to receive them. This is how you are to protect them. And, and again, many people have misunderstood what He says here in verse uh, verses 5 through 6, that we think of it very narrowly, uh, that we would interpret these verses to mean that we shouldn't cause harm, uh, specifically harm to kids. We shouldn't lead them to sin. And, and that because Jesus loved all the little children, you know, all the children of the world. Um, nobody thought that was funny. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try better next week. Um, but that because Jesus loves them, that, that we should too. And now obviously, right, obviously there's some truth to that interpretation. Uh, if you're wondering, should I lead a child into sin, the answer is no. Uh, that seems fairly self-explanatory, um, but, but, but that's not the point of this passage. He says, not only would you not lead, and this is, this is the danger of, of a thought that the Spirit brought to my mind this week, is, is how many, how, are there sins in my life that I'm leading my family towards? Uh, you know, am I not protecting my son in certain ways? Uh, and that, that question can stop you in your tracks. Uh, and I think it's a valid question. But, but I don't believe that's necessarily the entire point of, of what Jesus is saying. Because remember this, uh, Jesus has just equated all of his father followers um, with children. Sons and daughters of his heavenly father. That's what 3 and 4 are telling us. And so, so he did this by actually using a child to illustrate the spiritual reality. So, so whenever we see the word child or little one in the rest of this passage, uh, th- this reference isn't necessarily just to physical children who are uh, under the age of whatever you've decided children are. I, it keeps changing in our society. Apparently now you could be 26 or 35 and still be considered a child. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but, but, but he says, okay, instead of thinking as children in, in that light, think of it in this light now. Uh, as these are children of the king. These are the ones that God has chosen, uh, that God has redeemed. And so uh, anytime we see that in the rest of this passage, we need to realize that this is including you, uh, no matter how old you are. Um, that, and so these, these references uh, are not just to physical, but to the spiritual children uh, of God the Father. And so, so he's equating himself with Christians, he says, um, with children of the Father, as in when you receive a Christian, a child of the Father, you're receiving me. Because I am a child of the Father. I am the Son of God. And, and so when, when someone causes a spiritual child of the King to sin, on the other hand, he says, this is a very serious offense. And so he's going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks about, hey, these are things that are happening inside your community that you have to root out. And you have to change the way that y'all are doing things. Uh, he says it would be better for a person uh, to basically drown, in, not basically, to literally drown in the sea uh, than to cause my little ones to sin. And so, so God is loving with his children in perfect and holy ways. And he's taking great strides to provide and to guide and to protect his children. And so, so this warning about the effects of leading his children towards sin is a very serious one, and it, as well it should be. As well it should be, because this is what he says, that becoming a child of the king brings the protection of the king. And that's great news for us. 
that becoming a child of the king brings the protection of the king, that, that we're not just part of this kingdom, we don't just live there, we're part of the family, that, that Paul will tell us that we are part of an inheritance of glorious riches in Christ. That it's innumerable. You, you can't describe all of the protection and the beauty of what is bestowed upon you because of what Christ has accomplished in you and for you. And so, so really, the, the rest of chapter 18 deals with how God's children are to be cared for and not led into sin. That, that realizing the focus of this chapter makes this imagery of children very powerful because it becomes very applicable to us. It becomes, we can wear these words and we can change course in these instructions. For, for example, uh, if, if you're a parent, uh, and this is specifically when, when uh, talking about when Jesus says it's better for them not to lead kids into sin or drown in the sea. Um, if, if you've had a loving parent, I think you can get this context. Or if you are a loving parent, you can understand this. That, it, that it's one thing to hurt you, but if somebody comes after your child... All of a sudden, there's like a light that, or a switch that just flips and you just go bonkers, right? And he says, this is, this is the passionate, relentless love that my father has. If you mess with his kids, you suffer his wrath. And now imagine yours, right? You'd you ninja kick anybody for your kid, right? You just end them. And he says, this is, this is how serious I take protecting my children. I think this brings us to really beautiful, that, that this is the kind of a zealous affection that our Heavenly Father has for us. And so what's going to happen from this point forward, it begins this discourse on how we are to live in light of being children of the King. And he's going to lead us to some hard points. And maybe this is already a hard point for us. Because in our society, we want to build these different paths, right? We want to say, I want, I want more options. I want more and more and more and more options. And Jesus is very narrow in his approach to life with God. He says, it comes through me. We, we can start wrapping this up. He says, it comes through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he's told us, right? He's told us how we do that. He says, unless we are humble like this child, and maybe that's the first hard thing we've dealt with this morning. I don't, I don't like that thing. I don't, I don't like humility. I don't like feeling that I'm not the captain of my own ship. I don't like feeling that I can't fix this on my own. And I think this is a good point, good place to stop. Like I said, I was, we were planning on getting through 14 and then it just didn't happen. Um, because I think there's a, there's a thought and a call to ponder and to meditate on. And it comes from verses 1 through 4. How can I be great in this life? How can, I be, how can I be great? How can I go from the mundane and the normal and be great? 
How can I do that, Jesus? You're great. You're incredible. You, you are loving. You are compassionate. The things that you do, it's, it's mind-boggling. Like, my heart is yours. How can I be great in this kingdom that you are establishing? And I think he brings a question to the table that we have to deal with. And before you answer it, just stop and ponder it. Because to answer it too quickly, for some will minimize it. And to answer it too quickly for some doesn't cause you to stop and ponder. Both, though, can lead you to these incredible places of worship. So the question on the table is simply this. Are you a child of the King? That's, that's the question that's most pertinent here this morning. Because here's what we know. If you're not a child of the King, then the rest of chapter 18, the rest of chapter 19, really the entirety of the Bible is just this, this wasteful practice of just trying to be moral with your life. You can try to do all the right things. But if you're not a child of the king, all of that is just a waste. But if you are, all of a sudden something changes. And you find a life worth living. You you find a breath worth taking because you are a child of the king. And so if I say that, are you a child of the king? And you just, just flippantly say, oh, yeah, I am. You don't, you, you don't ponder the beauty of Christ. You don't see him. You don't, you don't bring yourself back to this place of, of remembering the joy, as the psalmist would say. Remind me again of the joy of who you are. Because some of us have been Christians longer than we've been living, apparently. And we've yet, we don't take the time to ponder the beauty of Christ near enough. And we don't allow His love and His compassion and His movement in our lives to move us anywhere. Because He's just part of the story that we're creating. And some of us hear that question, are you a child of the King? He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did something at a church camp, or um, I did something at a church a long time ago. I, I, I did some sort of religious movement. But the question for both is simply this: Does he have your heart? Is his movement in your life? Does it stir the affections of your heart? Because we can say all day long, yeah, I'm a Christian.'" And we can all have 18 different, or I guess however many people are in here, interpretations of what that looks like. But does Christ have your heart? Because if He has your heart, He can have access to everything else. So our question this morning is, and we'll just end with this, is are you a child of the King? And if you are, if you are, let's just ask a simple follow-up question. How is that affecting 
my movements? How is that affecting my urgency? How does that guide my tongue? How does that steer my life? And then if you're not, there's no better time than today to be that, to become a child of the King. Jesus is very clear about the condition of our hearts and the destination of our lives when we are separated from God. And he says, God, out of his great love for you, has demonstrated love and that he has loved you before you loved him. And so maybe today is that day where you say, okay, and maybe you've said in your past, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I've never given my heart to Christ. Maybe today is that day for you. I love you guys. Our, our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Please stand with me. We wrap up. We're going to give you an opportunity. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. If you need to ask Jesus in your heart, we want to do that with you. Nothing is celebrated more around here than that. Troy and Jessica, they'll be up here. They want to pray with you. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning because you are a, a good father. And you protect us and you guide us and you discipline us and, and you provide for us. And most of all, Father, you've provided for us and that you've sent your son to, to rescue us at a great cost. And I pray that we would just remember that over and over and over again. That we would find that, that you have rescued us because you've loved us. And that any form of, of greatness, any, any level of greatness that we would achieve in this world really is just turned down in comparison to the greatness that you have, have accomplished on the cross. And Father, I pray that, that your love for us would spill over in our love for others. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.